Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome again to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. And today's guest helps entrepreneurs and practitioners experience freedom from struggle personally, professionally, and financially. She is the expert when it comes to understanding how emotions learned in early childhood can affect a person's business and financial outcomes. In fact, as we talk to her, we're going to find out how it affects a person's outcomes holistically. Thousands have benefited from her groundbreaking book, Build Your Money Muscles, and her online programs, and her latest book, The Search for Connection, A Spiritual Journey to Physical, Emotional, and Financial Health. Please welcome Joan Sotkin. Hi, Joan. Hi there. Great to be here. Joan, one of my favorite people. I'm so excited to talk to you today because we've had conversations in the past about all this stuff about emotions and emotional intelligence and struggles. And it'd be fascinating for our, our listeners to hear a little bit about your story to start with and how you've gotten to this this position that you're in today. And I'm going to let you fill in the, the blanks and all that. Okay, so it's a really long story, but I'm going to shorten it. <laughs> okay, so, Excellent. Okay, so I came from a family where one of the, one of the rules was Satkins don't feel. So that mm. was my basis. And uh, as I got into life and after a couple of failed marriages and and all sorts of problems – I went to Codependence Anonymous, and they used to mm. clap when I would tell them how I felt. So I thought, oh, there's this whole other world <laughs> where people can feel. And so I decided to learn about emotions. Now, I didn't realize that even though they said Satkins don't feel, I was the one who was crying all the time. So obviously, <laughs> I was pretty sensitive. <laughs> You were feeling something. Yeah. So it's like I made a list of uh, a hundred different emotions and used to practice the emotions. Mm. And I began. Kind of like an actor, an actress, right? You you practice what it felt like, right? Exactly. Exactly. And so that's been like the base of my, my studies for a long time. And then when, as I moved along in business, I had two millionaire brothers and I couldn't rub two pennies together and I wanted to know why. And what Mm. I've come to understand is that our emotions are the creative force behind our life stories. That if we Mm. have habitual emotions like disappointment or anger or whatever it is, we're going to act those emotions out through our our life stories until we we learn how to embrace those and and express them because once you've expressed them, then they don't have to bother you anymore. And so that's kind of at the base of everything I do. But I'm I'm also interested in I've been into metaphysics forever. So the question is, if we create our reality, as people say, I think it's creating our life stories. 
how do we do that? And so mm. I'm, I'm really interested in the different dimensions of ourselves that allow us to see things beyond what is obvious and to feel things beyond what, what is obvious. So my, my story is really about how do we become co-creators with that force that I believe is within us that is leading us to where we, where we, what we need to do in order to become who we're becoming. Yeah, so let's, let's back up for a second because you said something that I think is fascinating that I'd like to dig into a little bit. You said you, you wrote down a list of 100 emotions and then you yeah. practiced feeling those emotions. What, yes. I, I guess the, the best, the easiest way, what's the point? Why do that? Because I, I don't know. I, I just do things when I feel led to do them. And I mm-hmm. realized that if I wanted to be able to say what I was feeling, that I had to be able to put a word together with, with an emotion. Mm. So you wanted to attach a definition of the emotion that you could express to others, right? Well, I don't know that I was that logical about the whole thing. I was just doing what I felt I had to do. I I work on this very intuitive level, which is a label I had to give to it. And I just kind of wait to see what I'm supposed to do. So, you know, this is fascinating because I the work that we do with leaders, and I, I work with a lot of male leaders, and I say their list is is two words long. Yes. Okay, they're happy and they're pissed. Okay, that's it. You see, you say, "How you doing? I'm fine." And right. there's, they're neutral, so they don't feel anything. We're in that neutral box. It's not really feeling anything. But if we have an emotion, we're happy. How you feel? I'm happy. What version of happy? Happy, or I'm pissed. I'm angry. You know, I'm frustrated. You know, so, but it's all around. <laughs> I'm pissed. Okay. And that's the extent and the work that we do. It's interesting. You talked about having a hundred emotions that you list there. The work that we do is trying to get leaders to have a list of 20 or 30 or 40 emotions so that they can express those emotions, especially in the recognition of the emotion of validation of another human being. Are you feeling this? And that creates a connection. Okay. So, I came from a family that was very male-dominated, my father and two bossy brothers, and we had this rule that Sotkins don't feel. So I had to guess what they were feeling. And now I work a lot with men, clients, and so I can tell what they're feeling. Hmm. And I say to them, well, are you feeling sad? Are, Are you feeling tension of any kind? Are you feeling Mm. contracted? So I can guess based on their situation, what they're feeling. Because the way I work is if I were in that situation, what would I be feeling? And Mm. nine out of 10 times, I've got at least one of the, of the feeling gestalt that they're, that they're in. And so I'm helping them understand that there are feelings and they don't have to deny them. I mean, it's, it's right there. You don't have to hide them. Don't have to deny right, them. Right. They can express them or at least recognize them, right. right? Be aware of them. Right. Yeah. And when you open people up to those emotions, what do you see happening? Oh, by the way, what you're talking about is called empathy, right? It's being able to, yes. right? We have a word <laughs> yes. for that. It's called empathy. When I can feel what the other person is feeling and at least understand that. And here's the beauty right. when you talk about, oh, nine times out of 10, I can get it quote unquote right. And I say that because of this. If I'm leading someone and I express to them a possibility of an emotion that they're feeling, 
and I say to them, are you, are you feeling frustrated? Their immediate response will either be to confirm it or to say, well, not, not exactly. No, it's more like agitation. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. right. And here's yeah. the thing about expressing someone's emotion and back to them is you don't have to be right. You just have to make the effort, right? Right, right. But, but people often don't trust their own emotions. So, so they're afraid to say, are you mm. feeling? Or they put it in a way that, well, I can see that you're angry. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it's in doing this work, and I'm, I'm sure you have found that, you have to have an element of love and acceptance in yeah. your voice. In other words, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you what you're feeling, but there's no judgment involved. That what there's, I don't believe in negative emotions. I hate that expression, negative emotions, because they're just emotions. And we've been taught that the uncomfortable emotions are are not to be Mm. felt. You're not to feel anger. You're not to feel fresh. You know, it's like there's something wrong with this emotion because it's negative. And I just don't like putting labels like that on emotions. Yeah, yeah that's that's a great point. I've, and I, you know, full, disclo- full disclosure, Joan, I've been accused of, of using those words, negative and positive, and trying to stay away from good or bad or any kind of a judgment, but trying to categorize them in a way that helps people uh, understand them. But I really like what you're saying about zero judgment. By having zero judgment with others and having zero judgment for themselves, what does that do for them? It'll, it gives them space to accept something. Yes. And what yes. I also try to do is help people connect to the kinesthetic experience of the emotion within their physical body. Because mm. emotion- Before we get to that, I just want to okay. hold because this is important okay. stuff. And I think it's not just space, but giving them safe space. Oh, absolutely. Yes, cuz right? Yes. I can't imagine doing it. It gives them else. safe space yes. when you, yeah. No, no. So I love this part about the the kinesthetic because uh this is something you've taught me and I've been had the opportunity with some of the people that I coach to use this technique with people to help them. So talk about this this idea of kinesthetic. Okay, so you don't have emotions in your head. Although some people will say, "Well, I feel it in my head." But your emotions are in various parts of your body. You have these these receptors in the cells throughout your body that allow the neuropeptide of the emotion to latch on to that receptor. And that's why you feel it in your gut, why you feel mm. the tension in the back of your neck, the the different feelings that you have. You might get a sudden headache. These are all emotions in your body. And so So the limbic the limbic system, which is with your neocortex and everything, is merely the center where the emotion uh, um, is perceived, but then it's manifested in another part of your body kinesthetically because of the receptors. Right, which is why you get physical disease. I mean, there's a whole mm. science of psychoneuroimmunology that shows the connection between emotions and disease. And Mm. I was a very sick person physically. And in healing myself, I came to understand that all that discomfort that I felt emotionally 
was acting itself out through pain in my body. So mm. I learned that if I have pain in my body, to put my hand over the pain and make the sound of the pain because that released the the neuropeptides from the receptors and it was an expression of the emotion. So um, it, it's time for us to talk to this audience a little bit about that path and when you came to this realization when was able to heal yourself. Yes. Because what they don't realize listening to you is what your age is and how late it was in your life that you came to this realization. I think it's really important because people need to understand that there is always a time and a place, no matter how old or how young you are. Right. Okay. So when I was 30, a doctor said to me, I would never be healthy because I was just a hypochondriac and I should get to live, uh, get, learn to live with this long list of physical disorders that I had. Mm. And I thought to myself, that's not my story. Fortunately, I have this very strong screw you attitude. Mm -hmm. And I was able to say, I'm going to find another way. Yeah. So I had to learn how the body works, physiology, microbiology, and all the alternatives. And it became, you know, and I also happened to be intuitive. So I, I, w I was doing a lot of meditation. I started meditating in 1972. And for the audience, I'm 80 now. And I, I just turned 80, which was a major milestone. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to get to live past 60. And well, I'm sure 30, when you were very unhealthy, it wasn't looking good. And now it's 50 good. years later. And as I've gotten <laughs> right. to know you, I've said, you keep getting younger. Yes. And I mean, I walked two miles last night for the third time this week. Nice. And that was a major accomplishment for me. My watch tells me how far I walk mm -hmm. and how many steps I've taken so I can compete against myself. Yes. <laughs> and, and so... Over the years, I because the medical system doesn't understand psychoneuroimmunology, but it became very apparent to me fairly early. And so I've just been developing healing techniques that I needed to use for myself. And one of them was asking myself, well, how other than words can I express my feelings? And I, I learned that if I make the sound of the feeling, that it's going to express the emotion and release it from my physical system. Yeah. So you know, what strikes me with this, at 30 years old, you're, you're being told by the medical profession, you're unhealthy and you're not going to get any better. And you had the mental capacity to ask the question, what if? What if they're wrong? Mm -hmm. What if there's another way? What if I could I could find a way to that that combines all of these other things and you went out and started doing research on this? Well, actually I assumed they were wrong. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Let's start there, right? I, okay. I remember when I was ten. I, I had all these things wrong with me for a long time. And and they would take me to Uncle Ben, who was the family doctor. And I would come home and, and tell them what, you know, my father would say, well, Uncle Ben said. And I would say, well, Uncle Ben is wrong. And, and they would look at me and say, Joan, he's the doctor. Mm. Well, I've learned that doctors are just guessing. And they only know about 
the biochemistry, they, they barely understand biochemistry. They, 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 they understand the biology or whatever it is they understand because somehow they think that all these drugs are going to fix us. And, and that never made mm. sense to me. And I was drugged mm. a lot. And so for me, it was understanding fairly early on that they didn't know what they were talking about. You know, about. I think this is a great lesson for us when we talk about our own health, that each one of us is different. Each one of us has a very unique set of circumstances within this physical being that we have. And, and I've said this many times, we have to take responsibility and control of our own health because we know what our what we feel like and what's going on. And hopefully we have enough at our fingertips with resources today where we can dig into this with our own personal situation to try to improve our own health. And I agree with that completely. When someone's, you know, I haven't eaten sugar since 1973. Mm. When the doctor said to me, uh, this is a very enlightened doctor, when he said to me, if you don't eat sugar, you won't be depressed anymore. And I had mm. been a suicidal depressive for 15 years. The next day, I cleaned out all the sugar in my house, and I've only eaten it once knowingly since then. And, wow. and you know, I've had alternative treatments, so I'm not so sensitive anymore. And, and you know, I'm, I'm like an, almost like a normal person, except I don't eat sugar. And, right. and that's one of the reasons I'm a healthy 80-year-old. So when someone says to me, well, I can't give up my chocolate, uh, I, they're saying to me, I choose not to do that for myself. Right, right. I choose, right. I choose to live with inflammation. And if that's what you want to live with, that's your business, but don't complain to me. Right. Well, that that's starting to sound a little bit like that Sotkin attitude. Yes. Okay. Of, you know, we don't feel, don't complain, suck it up. You know, so there's other aspects of that that have served you very well. Right. Well, I what I learned to do, what I've taught myself is what I call empathetic detachment, okay. where I understand how your feet, how you feel. But I don't, I'm not going to try to fix it. Well, yeah, you can't. Only they can. That's right. And it's, you can help them become more aware. And we, we do this in leadership all the time. And it's, it really has a lot to do with getting a third person or an outside me asking questions about the story that I'm creating in my head. What's my mindset? Absolutely. What's my story? Right. And right. in some ways, coaching them to saying, well, well, John, what if you're wrong? What if that story that you're telling yourself is wrong? What other options do you have? What could you do with a different story? And that's, you know, in the work that I do, it's the same thing. Uh, you know, uh, that you're telling me a story. What, how do you know that's true? And yeah. uh, people get stuck in definitions of themselves, which limits their capability of expanding. Mm. And, and what they do is they create stories about the future that are ugly stories. And it's just yeah. a story. And whatever you're thinking about the future is not true. It's just something you're making up. So when I was trying to get over worrying about money, I would stop myself and say a large sum of money from an unexpected source. Because that's just as true as any other story I'm making up. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So what, and what you're talking about, we put, we put labels on some of this stuff. We talked about, you know, mindset, a fixing the growth mindset. 
and the fixed mindset is just what you're saying. This is the way I am. I'm not going to change. Right, I can't. Right. But a growth mindset is, I don't know what my potential is. So I'm going to try a lot of different things and try to find out where the edge is. You know, how much potential do I have? Right. And, and you know, and, and when I read that book, it was a mindset book by Carol. Carol Dweck. Uh-huh. Dweck. I know it's like dweeb or something. <laughs> yeah, Carol Dweck. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and. I love that all this stuff that I had figured out now has definitions written by people with lots of letters after their name. <laughs> That's right. It's I just supporting I, what you already knew, John. Right. I mean, it's like when people ask me what my credentials are, I say I was really screwed up and now I'm fine. There you go. <laughs> and and you figured out how to get unscrewed up so yes, that yes, you can yes. help other people do the right. same. Well, I figure if something's true for me, it's true for at least 100 other people. There you go. And if I can define what I am going through, and let me share with you one of them that I came up with in the last two weeks. Oh, good. Um, I was in a practitioner's office getting a, 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 an IV treatment. And he mentioned someone's name who I know, and I made a really nasty remark about her. Mm. And I thought to myself, why did I do that? Now, I know that there's got to be an emotion behind it. Mm -hmm. So I looked at it, and here I was having to get these IVs because I had sepsis, and even though I, I managed to live through it, um, I now had to spend all this money on pumping vitamins into my veins. and. I realized that I was feeling sorry for myself. Mm. And she's someone, the person he mentioned, very successful and, and I like her, and, but I Just was in out. that, I was feeling, but I know if there's something I'm feeling today, that it's not the first time. Mm. That I have had a pattern of feeling sorry for myself over the years that I had never recognized. Mm. And so I decided to process that and realize that all the times that I had to be rescued financially was because I was feeling sorry for myself and wanted my brothers to feel sorry for me too. Right. So when I shared this with my brother, he said, I didn't feel sorry for you. I was just frustrated. There's the male feeling with no other definition. I was just, <laughs> I, I was, was pissed. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I was I was just frustrated because of how you were living your life. Right. And that was just a couple of weeks ago. And I can't believe how things are shifting because I let go of that contraction within myself of hoping other people would feel sorry for me. Mm -hmm. And I, I had plenty of uh, reasons over the years, physically, because I had all those things wrong with me. My mother was pregnant. When she was pregnant with me, she had to stay in bed for eight months because I was supposed to be a miscarriage. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, You're still surprising him, aren't you? <laughs> right. And so she must have really been feeling sorry for herself. Mm. You know, because I believe that we learn those, we, we get those emotions from the my mother's neuropeptides who are going through, going through our system when when our mothers are pregnant with us, and recognizing that habit has been really interesting. And I realize how many people feel sorry for themselves. All those people that were knocking on the 
ca- the capital doors, um, they wouldn't feel that way unless they were feeling sorry for themselves. Yeah. Oh, and no one sees me, no one rec- recognizes me, no one knows what I really need, so I'm going to show them how pissed I am. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, so they're they mostly male. They're, yes. And we, so there's a couple of things that come to mind as you talk about it. Number one is we recognize with awareness these triggers that we talk about. That, right. You, know, that you felt a trigger in the doctor's office, made a comment about something that because you were feeling sorry for yourself, you did a downward comparison to put somebody down so that you could feel better about yourself. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Which we, we all have done this at times. And recognizing those moments help us create an understanding of that trigger that gives us some insight into the story because there has to be a story coming from somewhere that's been reinforced over the years that creates the trigger and we have the power to rewrite the story right and one of the reasons i'm as healthy as i am now is because i realized a long time ago that i have a choice as to how i'm going to feel that yeah. once I, you know, it's what, like when I wanted to stop having negative self-talk. So I would notice that I was saying, you know, you, you know what you ought to do or you know what you should do. I, I would say out loud, thank you for sharing, but we don't talk that way anymore. And I would tell myself what a great job I was doing. Which, what do we do? We do that with our children, right? If, you, if you're bringing them up right, you're talking to your child, you know, Absolutely. that, uh, that parent-child yeah, yes, adult thing. Yes. Yeah. And it's a little yeah. schizoid, but it works. Yeah, yeah, it works. So, the and that is reframing, as we call it, reframing or retelling the story. And I always talk about this in triggers and there's a, a universal situation in the United States that people feel where so you get cut off on the highway, you get pissed off because somebody cuts you off. And I joke about this when I talk about this with emotional intelligence and triggers and emotional control and then emotional reframing. So you don't feel the negative. I say a negative emotion. You don't feel that downward emotion, whatever They're you want to call it. Uncomfortable. So you're not uncomfortable. Right. That discomfort. Yes. So you don't feel yes. that discomfort. Okay. Great. I like that. Thank you. And I reframe it. Guy's trying to get to the hospital. Let me get out of his way. Let me be helpful. Let me be kind. Let me be, you know, and 99 times out of 100, that story pops into my head out of a um, a reframing and new new thought, so that it serves me. And like you said before, it's just another lie. I had somebody tell me, "Aren't you lying to yourself?" I'm like, "Absolutely." <laughs> and that lie serves me. Yes. Yes. Right. And I I don't get that uncomfortable feeling any longer. Right. In fact, I get a comfortable feeling because of the act of kindness. Yes. Yes. And yes, we have control more control over our mind, our brain than we realize. But the brain has to be retrained. So every time I said, thank you for sharing what we don't talk that way anymore. And I decided to feel something else that was telling my brain, we're going to create a new neural pathway so that we're going to change, change your habitual response to familiar stimuli. And, and if you do it enough times, it takes a while for the brain to get the message. And the hard thing is you go through a period of what I call the moving stupids. If you've ever moved from one house to another, you get really stupid. You bump into walls, you can't find anything, and, and, and you'll drive home to the old house because you're developing new neural pathways. 
and your brain is not habituated yet to the new neural pathway. So you go to do something, and the brain goes, duh. Um, <laughs> and that... <laughs> Or you just go to yeah. the other one, and this is a really this is a really important point though, because I, I in, in our leadership programs we do this all the time, and people will say to me, I, I tried that once and it didn't work. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. And I go, you know what? I was watching a, a, an eight month old try to stand. Right, and if it could talk. <laughs> It would stand once, fall down, and we go, you know what? You know what, Dad, I try. I, I, can't, I, I use, can't do I that I use anymore. that all the time. Right? right. Right. And why do adults say that? That You talk about being, they don't want to put Because the they feel disoriented, and they don't uh. know how to say, I feel disoriented. Because when you try to do something new, your brain goes, duh, and that translates into feeling disoriented. I don't know what to do. So, so that disorientation should be an indication to me that I'm actually on the right path. Exactly. So in my groups, when we talk about uh, change and people say, well, people say to me, boy, do I have the moving stupids. And I'll say, yay. <laughs> you know? Yes. We celebrate that. Yes. 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 And when we, um, in our leadership program, again, when we go to our, boot, our three and a half day boot camp and somebody makes the first mistake, we talk to them about celebrating the mistake. What did you learn from this? And we put our hands up. We go, yes, this is awesome. Right, we're learning. Right. We're, we're starting to really learn something here. And, and people look at you, what are you, crazy? I'm like, of course I am. We're all crazy. And let's celebrate those opportunities because now we are aware of an opportunity to retell a new story. Right. But also, people don't realize that it takes till you're 50 years old to find out what you're not. We live in a world of dualities where we, we, we do what we call mistakes, but mistakes are just finding out what not to do. And yeah. in life, it takes till you're 50 to at least find out who you're not. It's, during, it's like during the 50s, people start getting this urge to do something else and they're not sure what to do or whether they can afford to do something else. In the 60s, people start trying to define what they really, who they really want to be. And it's in the 70s that people can create uh, this new being who, who they want to, who they've wanted to become. They just didn't have the courage to break away from what they were trained to be. And if you talk to me in 10 years, I'll tell you what the 80s are about. <laughs> okay, I, I look forward to it, and and we're going to set a date for your ninetieth birthday to be on my podcast. Okay, okay, it's a All deal. Right. It's we a will, deal. We will do that. Because one thing I know: whatever happens to my physical body, I'm probably not going to stop talking. <laughs> I, I think I'm I'm in that same boat. I'm in that same boat. So many of the things that you're talking about, though, about uh, emotional awareness, emotional reframing, is that the words that I use? And, and then I think then is when the work starts. Yes. Because once we understand that, like you said, you have to uh, reprogram the brain, get those neural pathways. And I, I know it's different for other people, but what have you found to be kind of the average amount of effort and time and, and reminders that it takes in order to be able to consistently reframe that? Well, I'm still working on it. You know, it's... There you go. <laughs> In other words, the process doesn't end. It's like, 
here I am at 80, and I just discovered this whole piece of feeling sorry for myself. And that was a deep understanding of myself in a way that I had no idea was there. And I traced it to my mother and my Jewish ancestors who probably felt pretty bad when all the relatives were getting killed. Um, I mean, there's, you know, and so we have to learn about the depths of our being and never judge who we've been. You know, there's a tendency to think, well, if I don't, if I do something new, then I have to judge who I've been. No, that was just who you've been. And no one, no one else cares. You know, (laughs) you know, every time I move to a new place, I could be whoever, whoever I wanted to be. They didn't know who I was. And, right. you know, if I want to keep the fun. Well, once you get over the moving stupids, yeah. right? <laughs> you know, I, I love that. I, when I moved to Raleigh, I said that I had temporary amnesia because um, I, I, didn't, I was here by myself. I was in a new job, a new city, a new house. I didn't, even, I didn't know how to get to work. I had to use GPS. And you had the moving stupids. I had the moving stupids and in, in, in all things. And within about a, a, a two or three weeks, I was exhausted. Right. It takes about three months to get through the moving stupids. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so I, I didn't even know where the bathroom was in the building that I was working in. You know, and I, I, I had to stand up from my desk and go, okay, so do I turn left yeah, or right? I mean, exactly. to have to think about every single move, it's exhausting. Right. It's the moving stupids. Right. And, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yep. So. A part of it, fortunately, I was born with a great sense of humor. So mm. I've learned not to take myself too seriously. And I have this brother who became the executive producer of Golden Girls and wrote scripts for the show. So he was funny. <laughs> and, you know, at, <laughs> at the, at the, that one thing my family could do was laugh. At the dining room mm. table, we would see how long it took to make my mother pee in her pants because she was. She was laughing so hard. So <laughs> that's great. <laughs> made it difficult to express an emotion, but we knew right. how to laugh, right? Yeah. And so yeah. if you can see yourself as a comic figure, you know, all the things you're worried about, whoever's in charge of this drama is watching you go through all this drama about, oh, and did you see what happened to me today? And it's funny. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. Comics make jokes about their difficult childhoods. They just know yeah. how to look at it from a different point of view. And it's like even my brother just moved to Santa Fe where I live a couple of years ago and he comes to visit and it's just, I laugh a lot cuz he's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately, it was like being brought up in a house with Don Rickles, and I yes. and I was the straight man. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> but the idea—I think this is a cool idea that you're talking about—is to be able to look at your past like a comics perspective. Yes. And just see it for what it is. See the facts for what it is without judgment, but be able to bend the story in a way that makes it funny why not why not rather than rather than having all these you know uh discomforting feelings this negative emotions i'm just gonna say it okay just just not feeling good about it we can look back at it and go that was funny that was funny and that was funny right. i love that and once i realized that i had been feeling sorry for myself mm. for 80 years yeah. i mean yeah. give me a break um, I could see the, 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 the drama in it, the humor in it, 
and that I didn't have to hold on to it. And I, I realized that I probably have created physical discomforts so that people would feel sorry for me. Now, it turns mm-hmm. out at 65, I discovered that I have this genetic connective tissue disorder that causes all sorts of problems. But one of the reasons I'm healthy is because I decided that I could find a fix for them. Yeah. Now, my, I'm still hypermobile and I still have things. But, you know, we develop ways of behaving early in life. And it's like I was thinking one day I felt a little down. And I would call it depressed. And I realized that I had been depressed for 15 years. I was a suicidal depressive for 15 years. So, of course, that has become my default. Yeah. And, and now I know how to not stay depressed. And if I have to, I have this, uh, this electrical stimulator for my brain that activates the serotonin and allows me to feel fine. Thank you. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so, thank you. I mean, yeah. once we understand that we are not our feelings, we are not mm-hmm. our emotions, we are not our thoughts, we are not our beliefs. We are something so much deeper than that. And when we can look at our thoughts, beliefs, and emotions and understand how we're creating our life stories, we, we can realize that we have a choice as to how we want to think, believe, and feel. Yeah, that's, that's some powerful stuff because I think that early on, uh, I know in my own personal development early on, I thought I can't really control my emotions, but I can control my behaviors. You know, I keep my mouth shut. I can feel it, but you know, I'm going to hold it in. You know, if I felt like yelling at somebody, I don't have to yell so I can control my behaviors. And later on, I'm realizing, you know, I have control over my emotions and my emotions are controlled by the way I assume things, the way I judge things, the way I believe in things. Right. And I can, I have control over the assumptions, judgments, and beliefs. If I change those, I change the story, I change the emotion, I change my perspective. Okay. And let's look at a very valuable reason to pay attention to your emotions. If you don't release them and get them out of your system by expressing them, you will get sick. Yeah. And if you want to be old with all the bottles of pills, I take two prescriptions. One is potassium and the other one is calcitonin because my genes don't create enough of those. My drug bill every month is $20. Yeah. Now, I do spend a lot on vitamins and supplements because yeah. the genomic tests I've had have shown that I need these things because, you know, whoever designed the system was still practicing. You know, it, it, yeah. it doesn't come out altogether right for many people when they come out. <laughs> you know? yeah. So, yeah, so let's, we're going to, we're going to stay away from this whole medical medicine field right now, because that could get into a whole other podcast. But what I do want to do is come back to some of the, the, the things that you're talking about. And from a leadership standpoint, it's the things that we're talking about with emotions and triggers and empathy and listening and engagement and connection are all things that tie into building relationships, which is what is the most important thing in leadership development. Absolutely. And because I've learned what I have, I can do the podcast that I do and, and not be afraid of asking people questions, not about their business, but about who they are. I was talking to someone about this the other day, 
that it's so easy to have these surface relationships with people. And what people are craving are authentic relationships. And you can't have authentic relationships with other people unless you have one with yourself. And in order to do that, you have to know your emotions, your, your unique combination of emotions. What, what you express emotionally is not like anyone else. And the more you can understand yourself, the easier it becomes for you to understand other people. Because you're, you, you're not stuck with these strict definitions of what is and who they are. And, you know, I was thinking the other day that any time we think we understand what someone else is thinking, we're wrong. I'm going to ask you the final question I always ask people when we go down this path. And I, I love all of what you said and what we're teaching people about emotions and how we control those, how we learn to let them go, feel them without judgment and let them go. And as leaders, that is so powerful for people to recognize that emotion, feel it and let it go. Because if you hold on to it, if you suppress it, as you've made the point, it'll make you unhealthy. It'll make you sick. It'll manifest itself in certain areas of your body that can affect your uh, your health and well-being, right? Yes, absolutely. So through this path, uh, the, this, these short 80 years, right, <laughs> and the things that you've been through, if you could write yourself a letter, and let's write yourself a letter going back to that 30-year-old that said, the doctor's wrong. What would you tell yourself through this journey or any time in your life that you've learned at this point in your life? What would you say to the younger Joan if you could write yourself a letter and send it back to yourself? I would I would say that one of the things you're going to learn is that whatever happens is what you need to become who you're becoming. Because I don't think there are any accidents, and I think that we need everything that we go through in, or, in order to become who we're becoming. And the problem is we don't know in advance who we're becoming. If I hadn't been through everything that I've been through in my life, then I couldn't do the work I'm doing now. Mm. And I really love what I'm able to do now. So we, we need our life's experience to become the person who I am. Who, who, who we're becoming. Because I, I think that changes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when I was 30, I was a very different person from who I am today. And I don't think there are any bad experiences. There are just experiences and we aren't taught from an early age how to see our experiences without judging them. You know, that, that I should have done this, I should have done that. No, whatever you did was fine. You were just learning how to walk. You know, you use that example yeah. of when a child is learning how to walk. If, if they didn't stand up after falling down, they'd be sitting on that floor for the rest of their lives. <laughs> yes, yes. And so... Well, that takes me back. That takes me back to when my sons were learning how to play tennis and both of my sons played college tennis. And when they were younger, we had, they would walk off the court and the first question we would ask them, win, lose, whatever happened, the first question was always, what did you learn from today's match? It's an experience. Whether you won or lost, it's an outcome. But life is right. the same way. What did I learn today? Exactly. 
Exactly. And it's amazing how we stress the importance of winning and the and and although going the other way where everybody becomes a winner doesn't work either. It's yeah. it's teaching a point of view and teaching people about the the power that they have within themselves. Mm-hmm. and to not judge themselves for what they've done. I think the work that's being done to, in today's world about how our ancestral stories affect us and uh, you know that these are new things that are coming into into being so we can understand ourselves better and how we got to be who we are. And when people if everybody can understand that who they are is perfect what a wonderful world that would be. And, yeah. and if we learned how to, how to feel satisfaction and how to feel acceptance, what a different world this would be. That instead yeah. of teaching that someone else can make you better. I was watching this documentary last night about uh, the, new, the new gurus in California. And people have this idea that some person has their answers and no one has your answers. It's just a matter of being able to learn to love and trust yourself. That all of those experiences, the people that are around us, everything that we get to understand in our perception allows us the opportunity to just learn one more thing, one more day, one more minute about yes. defining who I am. Right. I don't believe we come here to have a good time. I think we come here to learn and grow. And one of the things that we're learning is the power of our emotions and how they work to create our life stories. And to me, that's something that people haven't accepted completely yet. You know, I say that your life experience doesn't create your emotions. Your emotions create your life experience. And that's so hard for people to understand because it requires taking responsibility without judgment for what's happening in your life. Well, I think that's a great place for us to finish up that comment right there for people to take responsibility if they can do that, both internally and out externally, both for results, both for the way they act, for the way they behave, but mostly about the way they think, perceive, and emote with uh, uh, other human beings every day, because that's what makes us human. Absolutely. Joan, thank you so much. I know, and I think I can say this with great pride as we set the calendar for when you're 90. Between now and then, I know we'll do this again. I'm quite sure because <laughs> <Okay. laughs> you're, you're a special human being and I'm honored to have you as, as my guest today. Thank you very much for, for being part of this podcast. And thank you for letting me express myself here. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thanks again for listening to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Take care, be well, and be great. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com, S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S.com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com.